It is my absolute delight to introduce um, our guest speakers this morning. Now, they've come all the way from Northern Ireland, a beautiful, beautiful place called Causeway Coast, and they lead Causeway Coast Vineyard, which is a fabulous church. And, um, and they really press into a, a sense of expectation of the kingdom of God breaking in, uh, but also a, a, an absolute passion to bless the city um, that they're part of and to see it changed. So, uh, Neil and Janet, come on up. And... Uh, Something I just wanted you to tell us about is that um, you've got a wonderful conference coming up soon called Encounter More, right. and uh, it's definitely worth a visit. Yes. We have been a number of times to Encounter More with our staff, but tell us a bit yes. about this. So, so Encounter More, yes, our conference, we do it uh, once a year. This will be our first in-person uh, conference now for two years uh, that we've been able to do Encounter More. So yeah, we've got a, a 27th, 28th of May. Uh, so just a couple of weeks' time, we've got Mike Pilavachi, Pastor Agu, uh, Jake, Isaac, and a wonderful speaker called Janet Young is going to be there as well. Uh, so yeah, just wonderful. Uh, yeah, you're very welcome. If you're not bowing down uh, in Nottingham and praying, uh, on the same date, then uh, please fly over. Come, come visit. Yeah. That's oh, a tough choice. Let me just pray for you right now as you speak to us. Lord, we're so looking forward to hearing what Neil and Janet have to say to us. And we thank you for them, Lord. We thank you for their leadership um, of their church and their influence over not just Ireland, but the UK and other places. And Lord, we just thank you so much for them both. Bless them as they speak to us. Amen. 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 Yes, thank you so much for uh, your welcome. As Debbie said, we are from Ireland, uh, from Northern Ireland. Uh, so we call it the land of giants and leprechauns. And uh, we can neither confirm or deny that we have been sent on a special delegation to represent those people. And... Um, <laughs> But it is uh, just a wonderful place to be a part of. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, if you're here for the first time, normally you don't hear accents like this from the stage. This is not a live uh, presentation of Father Ted or Dairy Girls uh, or any of those uh, things. And um, yeah, we're, we're so, so, so delighted to be here. I guess we want to just thank you guys, um, you guys watching uh, online, those guys in the room who are part of Trent. Uh, just, I don't know if you, you realize that your sacrifice as a church, uh, what that has helped at the movement of Vineyard Church's release in the UK and in Ireland. We have, uh, you know, uh, somewhere between 1,000, 2,000 people are going to be sitting in church services like this across Ireland um, because of the work that, that you guys have, have done uh, and, and how generous you have been to the wider movement. So we want to thank you. Uh, and it is a real privilege for us to, to come here um, and to speak. So, yeah. Can I just take a wee minute to oh. notice how hard it is for the camera people... <laughs> to get the close-up view. Me too. <laughs> it's like, we need a split screen. There it is. <laughs> there it is. Um, <clears throat> so it's the turn of the giant. <clears throat> yeah, that's short person syndrome. Um, yeah, we love that we're here. We love you guys. We love John and Debbie so much. And we've been friends for a long time. And and yeah, I just want to echo Neil's words without repeating them all over again. Just thank you guys. We feel really um, privileged to be here this morning with you guys. And all weekend, actually, we've just had such a fun weekend. But we've been praying for you guys as we've been getting ready to come 
this weekend. And as we were praying, we were just asking the Lord, like, what are some of the things you'd love to encourage these guys with this weekend? And we felt him share two things that we'd love to bring to you this morning. And we hope that they're of great encouragement to you. So we want to start by reading a passage in the Bible in a book called Isaiah. And it's found in the Old Testament Isaiah was a prophet um, in Israel. And what a prophet did was heard the voice of God on behalf of other people. So Isaiah would go hear from the Lord and then bring messages of hope or direction or encouragement to the people of Israel. And so that's what he did. And this particular prophecy that Isaiah brought was in a time when Israel were facing real hardship. There, there was there were threats of war against them. Um, they were feeling oppressed. They were fearful. They were shaky. Um, they, it wasn't a secure, wonderful um, party time in the land of Israel at that time with the people of Israel at that time. And so Isaiah brought them this prophecy. So it was a message of hope that was to come wasn't right now. It was a message of hope that was to come. And who he was prophesying about was the Messiah, the future rescuer, redeemer, and deliverer of the people of Israel who was to come. And it was a promise that these Israelites would have held on to as they faced the hard things that they were going through. As they were afraid, this would have been like a a cling on of hope in their lives, in their every days, in the face of the pain and so we're going to read Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 3. If you have a Bible, feel free to turn to the passage, but the, the verses will come up on the screens behind us if you prefer that. So Isaiah says, The Spirit of the Lord, Sovereign Lord, is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. What promises. Can you imagine if you were someone, if you were an Israelite in that time and you were facing all this hardship and Isaiah said, fear not, look what's coming. There is a Messiah, there is a rescuer, there is a deliverer. I think it would have felt like a cool drink on a hot day for their souls or because the Irish are in town, like a hot cup of tea on a rainy day. Yeah. It would have felt that good. He would have felt that good in it, these promises that they get to hold on to. And then we jump forward about 700 years later and we find Jesus who had come to earth at that time. And he's standing in a synagogue and he pulls out the scroll and he reads this exact same prophecy that Isaiah had prophesied over the Israelites all those years before. But he stops at the part that says, he will come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he sits down and he does it for this reason. This is why he stopped here. He wanted to catch their attention in this moment. Luke chapter four, verse 21 and 22 says, Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture, the 700 year old scripture, is fulfilled in your hearing. 
Yeah. <laughs> yes, Amen. woo. It's Amen. true. Jesus is beginning to teach the people he's the one. It's like it's fulfilled today in this moment. I am the one who's come to bring freedom to you, to deliver you, to set you up in hope in me. I am the Messiah, the rescuer, the deliverer, the redeemer, the savior for you. And of course, we know today it didn't just stop there. Jesus is still the same Messiah. He's still the same rescuer, deliverer, hope giver for each of us who choose to follow him. It's who he is. But if we jump back into the last part of the prophecy that Isaiah gave, this is the first thing that we feel the Lord wanted to encourage you guys with this morning. Because Isaiah goes on to talk about what we're gonna call the great exchange, the end of that prophecy. It describes how this Messiah is gonna exchange the ashes, the crown of ashes that people wore instead for a crown of beauty. He was gonna replace the oil of mourning with the oil of joy. And he was gonna replace a spirit of despair with a garment of praise. And if we had all the time in the world, we'd go through of each of those really in detail and chat about that. But, you know, lunch is calling. We get you, we get you. And so we wanna just spend a little bit of time firstly talking about this swap of um, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Yeah, you know, words are so important. And um, I was, when you were reading that, I couldn't help but have a giggle. Um, did you, I do? No, you did nothing wrong. Um, it's at the start of Isaiah 61, there was a word that Janet said that you may not have understood. It's spelled P-O-O-R. Um, per. Per. So if, uh, yeah, yeah, most of you will pronounce it as poor. Um, but for us, it's per. And... I, I, I promised that we wouldn't digress, but I'm digressing. Because we, uh, I remember once we had a friend over from America and uh, our, uh, one of our colleagues, Ricky, who, who runs Love, our Compassion Ministries. At the time, we had a house um, that our um, that, that Compassion Ministry would run from and he was showing this American and he, he points and he goes, and that's our house for the poor. And this American guy's looking at him and he's just like, what? And, and they said, and we do this for the poor, and we do that for the poor, and we do that for the poor. And this American guy was just like, who is le poor? And he, he who is le poor? He thought it was this lady in our community that we had provided all of these things for called le poor. And, um, and Ricky was like, no, you know, people with no money. People that have no money. And he goes, oh, the poor. And so just in case that comes up again, the poor. Um, anyway. Back, <laughs> this, this idea of a garment of praise, you see, in this great exchange, there is a, uh, we, we get it, right? We, we get that why you would exchange ashes for a crown of beauty. It's an, it's, it's an exchange. It, it makes sense to us. We get why you would exchange the oil of mourning for oil of joy. It feels like an exchange. We, we get the, 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 how that works. But actually, it's really interesting that when Isaiah prophesies, he says, and he's going to exchange your spirit of despair for a garment of praise. It doesn't make sense initially, because actually, if you had a spirit of despair, you would say, well, surely the, the, the opposite of that would be a spirit of hope. Yeah. 
a spirit of something else? What, what, why would it be a garment of praise? And, and really interestingly, when we, we actually look into this, we find that the word uh, that's used for garment here, because obviously the Bible wasn't written in English, it was written this part of the Bible in Hebrew. And actually the word that's used for garment, it's the only time in the Old Testament that this word is used. There's other parts in the Old Testament where they talk about clothing or garments or coverings, uh, things like that. But this word is not used for any of those. Isaiah is actually trying to say something really clear about this garment of praise. And actually the word is derived from another word in, in Hebrew. And actually what it means is a mantle. And actually, if we were to even translate it further, it means to enwrap or to wrap oneself, to envelop oneself. So Isaiah is making a very clear point here that actually this exchange for the spirit of despair and a garment of praise is something very specific. Yeah. And I think in pictures. And so if someone's telling me a story, I'll be painting a picture in my head. I'll be putting pictures to the words that they're saying. And then as the story goes on, my picture gets bigger and blanks are filled in and I can see what I imagine to be going on. And that's what I do when I read scripture as well. I read the words, but I see the words in pictures in my head. And so when I picture this garment of praise, what it's not is like a restrictive cocoon because the word envelop could feel a little like that couldn't like a bit a bit restrictive that's not what it is that's not what we mean or it might be like mantle makes me think like more like a cloak superman right yeah like that it's round us but we have the freedom the cloak kind of flies out <laughs> sorry your dance, cloak. your dance is still entertaining it's cloak that's it um but it so it's not restrictive, it's, it's wrapped around us, but that's, that's not it. And so what I picture is something less temporary than that, less restrictive than a cocoon, less temporary than a cloak that you can easily just disregard and put on and off at your pleasing. I think if, we're, if it's gonna be an exchange for something as permanent as a spirit of despair, that, that can feel like in us, can't, that's in us. That's something in us. So we need something more permanent than something that you can just flip on and off, don't we? More powerful than that. So I think this garment of praise is more like putting on skin. Like wearing this skin of praise. And that it's not restrictive at all, is it? We have free range of movement in our skin, but it only makes our bodies better. Skin makes our, do we all agree that skin makes our bodies better? I don't want to think about that picture too long, right? It's better wearing our skin is a good thing. And what if we wore a skin of praise, a garment of praise, if we allowed the Lord, our rescuer, our savior, our redeemer, our deliverer, to dress us in a skin of praise? How beautiful and how freeing and how much fuller would that be in our lives? Then it makes sense to me that that would be an exchange for a spirit of despair. That's big enough. Yeah. That's permanent enough. That's rescue enough more than a cloak or a cocoon. And the thing about praise is it kind of works in two different ways, doesn't it? Praise can be something that's produced in our life, like an outward thing, like a fruit in our lives that you can see. 
So we, if you're here today or watching and you love Jesus, we worship him, don't we? That's what we've been doing and singing together. But the Bible tells us loads of different ways that we can worship and praise God. We can put him first in every area of our lives. We can submit and surrender every single breath that we ever take to him as praise, as an outward expression of praise, as this fruit that's produced in our lives. That's what it is to follow Jesus. It's just a daily laying down of ourselves and walking into fullness in him, putting him first. So it can be a fruit in our lives representing what's going on on the inside, but it can also be a seed that we put on the inside of us when our insides don't feel like that? What about when we don't feel like praising? What about when things are tough? What about when it feels like our spirit is in despair? What about when we can't be bothered? What about when we're too tired? What about, what about, what about, what about? Then it can be a seed. What I mean by that is we can choose to posture our lives in a position of praise to God before we feel like it. So it's this two-way thing. This praise, this garment that he's putting on us is permanent and it's a two-way thing. It's fruit that's produced in us that we see outwardly, but it's also a seed when we posture ourselves inside, in our hearts, that then starts to dictate the tone for our circumstances going on around us. And so that's the first thing that we felt we wanted to share with you guys this morning is that we believe that the Lord wants to give you a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Yeah, and then really linked to that, when we begin to wear praise like a skin, like a garment in the way that Isaiah intended. Actually, what it helps us to do is the second thing that we think the Lord has for you today, and that is freedom. Because there's something about praise and freedom. There's a link um, between the two things. I I remember uh, during one of the lockdowns um, over the past couple of years, lockdown 83, I can't remember which one it was, and some things were going on in church. There was just some, some difficult stuff. We were just balancing all of, all of the stuff that we all had to balance in that moment. I was, I was a little worried. I was a bit stressed. And I was out in my back garden. That's where I do most of my praying. And I was praying. And as I was praying, I just started to get this sense of how big God was. And I looked up to the sky and I was like, God, you know every cloud. And then I started thinking, God, you know where the wind starts and where it ends. God, you know every bird. God, you know every insect. You know every blade of grass. You know every tree. You know every plant that grows and the plants that haven't yet even come through the soil yet. You know every person in my community. You know every person in my nation. In fact, you know every person in this continent. You know every person on this planet and you know every single part of everything that has happened. You hold the whole thing in your hands. There is nothing that is happening on this earth that you do not have knowledge of or relationship with. And when I began to pray and repeat those words, do you know what happened to my worry and my problems? I'm not saying they disappeared, but all of a sudden I had perspective. I had an understanding that if the God of the whole universe, if the God who is that deep a knowledge and understanding of us and, and gives his love to us, then do you know what? I can worship him in freedom. 
even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of worry, even in the midst of despair. Do you know, it says um, in the book of 2 Corinthians uh, in the Bible, it's a guy called Paul, uh, writes that to a community there in Corinth, and, and it says this, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Because where the Lord is present, and He is everywhere, then freedom is available. It's available to all of us, and, and it's available to us today. But too often, as human beings, we diminish what freedom is. We actually lower the bar of what freedom is. And, and the reason that we do that is because we are not accustomed to freedom. Uh, we might feel like we're incredibly free, but actually, if we've got a pulse, have you got a pulse? Give me a wave if you don't. We'll send a team, we'll resurrect. But actually, freedom is nearly too big for us to comprehend because as human beings, we understand what sin is and we have, a, we have the sense that God has got freedom for us, but that's not, that's not kind of what is natural to us. So, so often we reduce freedom and we think, well, freedom is just escape from addiction. Or we think freedom is just escape from troubled thoughts or abusive behavior and repeating patterns. And freedom is all of that, but it is so much more. It is so much more. We need a fresh revelation from heaven to understand what true freedom looks like. We need to understand what God has in mind when it comes to freedom. One of the, um, I would say, the most frustrating parts of the scriptures uh, for me when I read it is the story of the children of Israel when they're coming out of Egypt. If you haven't read that story before, basically uh, these people have been in Egypt for generations, uh, 400 years, and they've been enslaved in Egypt. And uh, they, you know, it was backbreaking work that they had to take part in. They, they didn't get rest. They, they, many would have died in slavery. Even at times we read in the scriptures, there was genocide where, where the Pharaoh tried to wipe out um, some of their babies and children that they were having. They were, their worship was oppressed. They had generations of this slavery. And then through God's incredible deliverance and through a guy called Moses, they're led out of Egypt and into the wilderness on course to go to a promised land, to a place of freedom that God had prepared for them. But as we read this story of them uh, coming out of slavery and, and trying to get used to these new clothes of freedom that they're wearing, we find that they actually really struggle to walk into that. That actually they really just can't get their heads around it. They might have physically been free, but somewhere in their minds, they find it hard to make the shift. And, and this is a passage we come across in Numbers, which is the, maybe the most frustrating passage of them all. And this is in Numbers 11. And this is after God has been providing for them uh, through a thing called manna. It's food that God was providing for them. And this is what they said. It, it calls them the rabble. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing. And they said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also, the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Wow. Imagine not walking into the fullness and freedom of God and having a desire to go back to slavery because you want an onion. <laughs> Imagine... Imagine, oh my goodness, imagine forgetting about years and generations of slavery and back-breaking work because you're just so desperate for a cucumber. Wow. 
wow, I like my food, but come on. Wow, not even a Nando's could get me back, right? <laughs> and we laugh at this, and it's funny, right? I mean, I love that the, that, that the scriptures record moments like this. But, but as I thought about this, I began to think, man, imagine that someone was documenting my freedom journey. Imagine someone was taking a note of all of the things that I crave in life that I've laid down. Imagine those things. I'd be embarrassed if someone read that journey. I'd be embarrassed if, if some people could hear the things that I crave. See, I'm not that unlike those Israelites. I gave my life to Jesus when I was about 17 or 18. I've been walking with him for longer than I didn't walk with him. But there are times when I crave onions and garlic. There are times when when I think, it doesn't make any sense that, man, it wouldn't have been great to just have that. You see, and here's the thing that we, we want to leave you with. The greatest, one of the greatest acts that the enemy has given us and has done in our world is he has convinced us that a life surrendered to Jesus is not freedom but slavery. He's convinced us of it. He's convinced our world of it. He has flipped what the cross and the resurrection came to release us into. And he's flipped it and said, actually, God is trying to enslave you. It's what he did back in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. God's holding back on you. And he's trying to do it today. And in some places, he is winning. We know that he can't have the victory but in some places he's winning. He's trying to convince us that actually true freedom is being true to yourself. It's being true to your own convictions. That's how you begin to have it. Freedom is when I can do what I want, when I want, with who I want. And we listen to that, and I know there'll be some of you in the room today, and maybe you aren't yet in a relationship with Jesus. You're so welcome here today. And there'll be many of us here who've been walking with Jesus for years, and we listen to that and we think, oh, that's so ridiculous. I can't believe that big bad world believe in that lie. Folks, the truth is this is in the church as much as it's anywhere else. I see it creeping in. I see it creeping into Northern Ireland, see it creeping into other churches that I'm a part of, this sense that true freedom is one I do, what I want with who I want whenever I want to do it. But here's the big problem with this worldview, is that it presumes that somewhere deep inside us, we know what true freedom is. It puts us at the source of what freedom is. It presumes that we have a perfect understanding of freedom, But here's the thing, when I begin to think about my own thoughts, when I begin to think of those secret thoughts, you know the thoughts that you tell no one else, please tell me you have them too or else I'm in trouble. You have to put up your hands, but that laugh shows me that you're there too. What I know from those thoughts is that I do not know what freedom is. In and of myself, I am incapable of knowing what freedom is. It's only in Jesus, that I can ever begin to understand what freedom is. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're the only people who know what freedom is, the only people who will not control us, the only people who will liberate us completely. We are incapable of doing it on our own. And just again, as we finish, I want to read a story that I think illustrates freedom probably better than, well, 
outside of the story of the cross and the resurrection. And I'd love to read this to you. This is a story about a man in America during the time of slavery. And this is what it says. Uh, This man stood at the back of a slave auction. And he watched as a number of slave girls were paraded through the room. It was abundantly clear what these slave girls were going to be used for. And the first girl was auctioned and the bids began flooding in. Each bid met with cheers. The man was repulsed by what he saw. And so from the back of the room, he loudly offered his bid, silencing the crowd in the process because his bid went well beyond what the slave girl was worth and well beyond what anyone else could afford. The crowd was stunned. What kind of man would pay that amount of money for a slave girl? It made no sense. And the slave girl looked terrified. She was terrified, frightened at the prospect of what such a master with such resources would do to her. The auctioneer closed the bidding and he pointed the slave girl in the direction of her new master. So the girl made her way to the back of the room, every eye in the room fixed on her. And as she approached the man, he looked her in the eye and he simply said to her, young lady, you are free. The crowd leaned in, totally perplexed. She asked him what his words meant. He responded, it means you are free. Does that mean, she said, that I can say whatever I want to say? The man said, yes, my dear, you can say whatever you want to say. Does that mean, she asked, that I can be whatever I want to be? And the man leaned in and he said, yes, my dear, you can be whatever you want to be. Does that mean that I can go wherever I want to go? Yes, he replied, you can go wherever you want to go. The girl paused for a moment to take it all in. And then with tears streaming down her face, lifted her head and said, well, then I want to go with you. Folks, that's what freedom is. It's not about being who we want to be, going where we want to go, doing it at our time. It's about us hand in hand walking with Jesus and saying, lead me, because you're the only true source of freedom. And if you're the only true source of freedom, then there's nowhere else I want to be than by your side doing what you do. But here's what I want to let you know. This isn't some kind of passive moment. When you hold someone's hand, have you ever tried to hold someone's hand who doesn't want to hold yours? If you're a parent, you'll know that. (laughs) It's difficult. And I guess what I want you to know is that Jesus' hand is held out. Even if you've said yes to him, even if you're walking in relationship with him, he requires us to reach out, to grab his hand, to hold. It is an active participation that we get to, to do with him. But he has a garment of praise for you today. And he has freedom that's available to you. We'd love to pray for you. 